of all the things that Jesus could have said to them, of all the things that he could warn them about as he's nearing the cross, he chooses to bring up the fact that they will all defect, they will all desert him. They will all turn their back on Jesus. And if the disciples are to carry out the message to the world, they're going to have to be strong. As I mentioned just a moment ago, though, the very first step in understanding strength is to first understand weakness. The lesson of weakness is first thing that we have to learn. And I think that's what he's teaching here. It's a lesson that we all have to learn as well in our life. You know, I think it's important that we realize that sometimes... Sometimes we rely on our own strength, and because of that, we think we can handle whatever comes our way. And may I just say this, if you are failing day by day, if you are weak spiritually, if you are struggling day by day, I'm going to say it at the very outset of this lesson, it is because you are trying to handle all of those things by way of your own strength. And if you do, and that is you, you are failing miserably every day. We all fall into that category. If that's our motive, if that's the way that we do it, if that's the way we handle it, we are going to fail. In the passage that is before us, though, we find that these are things that are spoken to the disciples of Jesus Christ. And they thought, they thought they were going to do the right thing. After all, they all said, I'll never leave you. We're going to get into specifically the words that were used by Peter and the other apostles also. But just remember this, what they said was wrong. You remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? Now, I'm not going to go into that. I'm not going to, actually, I'm just going to make a point about it. And I've decided to skip the Garden of Gethsemane in the last week in the life of Jesus in our series because I've preached on that, I think, at least three times right here over the years. And I didn't want this series to be just a recanting of things that I've already taught or studied. So it's a good, it's a very uh, good possibility that we go from here to when uh, he's arrested. All right. All that being said, remember in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus goes and he prays and they slept. Notice what happened. They said here, I'll never leave your side, but we know exactly what happened. Jesus comes out forward and the betrayer is out in front. It's Judas. We know what happens then. Do you remember what Jesus said? He was protecting these men that said they would never leave his side. And Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. By the way, the word he is not in the original. You know what he said? I am. It's always been I am. And you know what happened? They fell down. Unfazed by that, they get back up. Jesus says again, really quickly now, he said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he, let these go. So I said all of that to say that. He protected the disciples. He said, let them go. But that's not what happened. They didn't stand firm. In fact, in Matthew 26 and 56, the last sentence of the verse says this, then all the disciples forsook him and fled. When it came down to the moment of trial, they all fled. Now, Matthew's intent here, I do believe, is to preserve the majesty of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? I love this. John, and you've heard me say this over the years many times. 
In the Gospel of John, John paints the picture or describes Jesus in deity. The deity of Christ. Emphasizes the deity of Christ. Matthew emphasizes the majesty of Christ. What do I mean by that? What I mean is the kingship of Christ. So in other words, Matthew emphasizes that Jesus is the king. And John emphasizes that Jesus is God. God the Son. The deity of Christ. And I think we're going to find what Matthew is doing here, showing the magnificence and the majesty of Jesus. I think we're going to see that as we move through. So in verse 30, right before this, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, they're gathered together in these final hours one more time. And in verse 31, Jesus launches into this confrontation of weakness, this lesson about weakness. You know, in all of this, I think we find a tremendous contrast between Jesus Christ and the eleven. And that preserves his majesty, and I think you'll see that moving forward. First thing we want to notice, first of all, there's a tremendous contrast between knowledge and ignorance. And I'm talking about the Lord's knowledge and the disciples' ignorance. In fact, the disciples are the ones that were woefully ignorant. Briefly going through this, look at verse 33. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Ignorant. You know what happened just a few hours later? He exactly did that. He did the very thing that he said he would not do. Verse 35. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. That's another ignorant statement. You know why? Because he would do just that. He would deny the Lord. He would not do what he said. He couldn't affirm that. He was ignorant in that. And you know what? He wasn't alone because look at the end of verse 35. And so said all the disciples. Now, why were they ignorant? And what was their ignorance? Here it is. Here's the disciples' ignorance. They were ignorant about many things. Number one, they were ignorant of their own weaknesses. Number two, They were ignorant of the strength of Satan. Number three, they were ignorant of the test that they would have to face. Now, hold that thought. We're going to to go further. But just look at this and apply this to your life and any struggle that you might have. If you're struggling, just perhaps it's because you are ignorant of your own weaknesses. Number two, you're ignorant of how powerful Satan is. I'm going to tell you, the devil is alive and well. He is a roaring lion and he's trying to get us. He's trying to get our kids. He's trying to get our families. He's doing everything he can. So when I struggle, it's because I am ignorant of the strength of Satan. Number three, I'm also ignorant of the test that I might have to face in my life. And don't misunderstand me. This does not mean that God is testing us. He's not doing that. God is our refuge. The test comes from the devil. The temptation comes from Satan. If I want to be successful, I need to understand my weaknesses. I need to understand the strength of Satan. I need to understand the trials that I would have to face, the hard things I would have to face in advance. All right, all that being said, this also applied to the 11, but there's more, and here's the point. They were the most ignorant because they were ignorant of the Old Testament prophecy on this very thing. They were ignorant of the Old Testament prophecy. This goes back to verse 31. Look at this passage. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
So their ignorance is obvious. But over against their ignorance is the knowledge of Jesus Christ that he had. It's another time for teaching and instruction. And the lesson is about foolishness in self-sufficiency. Here's exactly what he said. Jesus said, all of you, here's the flip side, he knew this, the opposite of ignorance. All of you would be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Now, then he said this, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. That's perfect knowledge of God's plan. And Jesus knew it all. And it focuses basically on verse 31 from an Old Testament prophecy found in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. Notice, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, Jesus not only knew what Judas was going to do. Remember what Judas? Remember Judas? Jesus says, whatsoever thou doest, do it quickly. He knew exactly what he was going to do. It was prophesied that Judas would do that, that he would lift up his heel against him. Jesus said, prophetically, it would be mine only for my familiar friend. He knew that. Secondly, he knew exactly what the religious leaders were going to do. He knew that too. He knew what the Roman soldiers were going to do. He knew that too. But there's something else. He knew exactly what the 11 were going to do also. And that's because of Zechariah 13 and 7. Do you see what he's saying here? And by the way, this is a messianic prophecy. And what you can do is you can go to commentators on Zechariah 13 and 7, and there are all manner of interpretations, but I'm going to tell you, it's messianic and it makes a whole lot of sense. Notice, who is I? I is God. In fact, it says this in Zechariah 13. I will smite or strike my shepherd. Who's that? That's Jesus Christ. Look, it was prophesied. God said, I will strike my shepherd, that's Jesus, and the sheep of the flock, that's you, the eleven, will be scattered. He knew the future because he knew the past. Secondly, we see a contrast between courage and cowardice. Now, there's a difference between cowardice and fear. There's a difference. Because cowardice is the acting based on fear. It is the action. And just because a person has courage doesn't mean they don't have fear. In fact, you cannot have courage where there is no fear. So what you find is a contrast between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus' ultimate courage and their ultimate cowardice. I wanted to make that point, though, about fear. Because notice, in verse 31, Jesus said, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. Do you want to know what this word stumble means? It's the same word. It comes from a Greek word. It's the same word that's translated trap or snare. You know what it means? It means it is a trap or it's a snare that is so great you cannot get out of it. 
Let that sink in for just a minute. He's telling them that on this night, you're going to fall into a trap, a snare that you cannot get out of. All right. You know what I love? I love it when the word of God tells us exactly what the answers are. Okay. What's the snare? What is it? We can turn to the word of God and we can find out what is the snare? What is the trap? Here it is. Here's the trap. And it's found in Proverbs 29 and 25. The fear of man brings a snare. What's the trap? It's fear. You see, fear is not the problem. Fear is when fear wins the battle over faith. And when that happens, then that is cowardice. And that's what they did. What's the flip side? Isn't this beautiful? The flip side of fear, the flip side of fear being the trap is what? Trusting in the Lord. It says, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. I'm going to tell you, that's what they didn't do. They didn't trust in the Lord. So if you are, I've known a lot of people that are really driven by fear. And it's very sad for me when I see people that are really driven by fear. Do you know what happens when you're driven by fear in your life? It's because you're not trusting in what you should trust in, and that's a fact. You are not trusting in the Lord that you'll be safe. When you trust in the Lord, it brings fear. It gets rid of fear. It takes it out. Jesus said you're going to fall into a trap. That trap is fear. They were afraid. They were afraid what the Romans were going to do. They were afraid of what the Jews were going to do. Do you remember in the... Oh, I don't know. In the last several days, I guess, of the Lord's ministry, he did many wonderful things. And even going back to John chapter 9, when Jesus healed the man that was born blind, when they went to the parents and they asked the parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? And how come he can see and all that? We all know the story. You remember what they said? They said, yes, this is our son. Yes, he was born blind. But then they said, but as to why he is able to see, you'll have to ask him. And then it said, and this they said for fear of the Jews. Right? How many times did it say for they said this for fear of the Jews? Do you know why? Very simply, because the Jews, meaning the religious leaders, had already said that if anyone was going to confess that Jesus was the Christ, they'd be cast out of the synagogue. Oh, there was all kinds of fear. Absolutely. They were afraid of what the Romans might do. They were afraid of what the Jews might do. They were afraid of it all. And you know what happens in verse 55? When they saw the soldiers coming with clubs and staves and swords and torches, and they saw the religious elite with them, they were afraid. And they fled. And so Jesus said, all of you will be made to stumble because of me. All of you will fall into that trap. You're going to leave me. You're going to defect. That's what you're going to do, and it's going to be out of fear. Now, admittedly, identifying with Jesus can be difficult. It is. I'm not standing before you, and I'm not going to tell you a message, and I hope you're not getting this from what I'm saying. I am not saying it is easy to stand for what's right. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that it's easy to stand for what the Lord wants us to stand for and defend the Lord and defend the truth. I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is, even if it's difficult in our life, it's still our choice that we must make. 
That's what Moses did. Remember that in Hebrews chapter 11? Moses chose the reproach of Christ rather than the sins of the world. Now, not everybody makes that choice on every occasion. In fact, there are those who flee when the pressure's on. And they run for safety because they're afraid. And again, that's what cowardice is. It is the acting upon fear. Now, Proverbs said, if you don't want to act on fear, you've got to trust in the Lord. If you trust in the Lord, you're going to be safe and you won't be afraid. And if you're afraid, you're going to fall into the trap. Chicken out. I'll tell you something. I, I was raised, I was raised very specific about courage. My father wouldn't let us even get discouraged. And by the way, I'm not saying right, wrong, or indifferent. My dad would just basically say this to me. And I'm glad that he did. And I don't know, everybody's personality is different, but with me it really worked. If I started to get discouraged about something, you know what my dad would say? Is that all you are? Is that it? Seriously, is that all you got? Then he would say, son, let me tell you, the, the, the uh, mark of a man is the problem it takes to discourage him. Are you, is that all you got? You know what it would do? It would make me mad. I'd fight back. My point is this. There is never a case to quit. And there's never justification for quitting because of fear. There's never justification for that. On the flip side, though, so we see the cowardice of the disciples. Why? They were entrapped by the snare of fear. And then they demonstrated it with cowardice and denial. What's the flip side? Look at Jesus. Jesus, the greatest one that ever lived. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays three times. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, do you remember about a month or two ago? This is very important. Get this, please. About a month or two ago, I talked about when Jesus was... Uh, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Bible says his soul was exceeding sorrowful even unto death and all of that. Okay? And I said this. It cannot be that the interpretation of that is that all he didn't want was or all he was worried about was the pain of the cross. That's too easy. There were many martyrs that we can read about in Fox's book of Martyrs that were martyrs for the cause of Christ and stood there firm. And those men were not greater than Jesus. Not at all. Those men were not more courageous than Jesus. So what are we talking about? When Jesus prayed to his Father, let this cup pass from me. What's the cup? It was not only suffering, which is included in that, but it's not exclusive to that. It's talking about the shame. It's talking about God's wrath upon sin. And that's what Hebrews 12 and 2 is talking about when it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was the shame. It was the fact that he was perfect and sinless, and yet the sins of the world would be placed on him. It was the shame. It was the fact that God's face would be turned, and he would have to do it alone. He was completely courageous. 
And the contrast that Matthew shows is not only the cowardice of the disciples, but also the the courage of Jesus. Also, there's a third element that we see, and that's a contrast between power and weakness. The disciples were afraid to face the moment because they were weak and they couldn't handle death, and that really scared them. But Jesus wasn't afraid at all. In fact, in verse 32, notice what Jesus says. You know why? Because Jesus understood the power. He said, all this is going to happen, but after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Now, the Lord faced death with tremendous courage because he knew that he had the power over death. How many times did Jesus say, no man lays down his life, or in other words, no man takes my life, I lay it down. He said, I have the power to lay it down, and I got the power to raise it up. So we see the disciples over here. But over here we see Jesus and we see the difference between power and weakness. Jesus told them, I must go and be crucified and three days later I'll rise from the dead. He had committed himself to the power of God and to the divine power over death. In fact, Jesus came to conquer death. The disciples should have known that. You remember just a few short days before in John chapter 11? Remember that? Jesus is going to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. And he says this to Martha in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. Listen. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? They should have known that, but they were afraid. They were cowards, and they didn't have strength in the faith of God like Jesus did. But you see, this lesson is very important to us. Because we can say that we all have strength to face anything, but we ourselves are weak, and that's not all bad. Did you just get that? I just said we're weak. Did you hear me? And I said, and that's not bad. I'm going to tell you right now, the older you get the more you come to realize that you are weak. And that's not bad. What's the lesson? Here it is. Until we learn the lesson of weakness, we cannot possibly understand strength. we got to learn to stop trusting in our own strength. Peter was very foolish. He was very prideful. In fact, his pride is manifest in three ways. Listen to this. It's manifest in three ways. And if this isn't pride, I don't know what is. Jesus said this, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. The first act of pride is this. Peter contradicted Jesus. Jesus said, before the cock crows or the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. You know what Peter said? Nope, I won't do it. Not me. I won't do it. He contradicted the Lord. You know what else he did? He did what sometimes we do. Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Peter acted like he was better than everybody else. And it was specific to a specific thing that he's talking about. Peter says, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Look at the pride. First of all, he contradicts the Lord. Now he says, you know what? I'm better than everybody else. Do you know when we do that? I'll tell you when we do that. 
what we, when we do that is when somebody falls and we say, man, that could never happen to me. <laughs> Can you believe old so-and-so? I'm going to tell you something. It can happen to you. It can happen to you. And who am I talking to? I'm talking to you. I'm talking to everyone individually. Oh, yes, it can. Peter, so arrogant. Peter, so prideful. Even if everybody falls, even if everybody's caught in the trap, I won't be. Not me. But you know what else he did? He trusted in his own strength. And he said this, even if I have to die with you, I will not de deny you. Look at this now. Do you see the problem? Look, here it is. I, I, I. There was, the Lord was nowhere to be found in that. No, I won't. I won't do it. I'll stay in there with you. I, I, I. Relying on his own strength. Oh, and by the way, by the way, the, the other disciples kicked in. They said, yeah, us too. Yeah, see that? So said all the disciples. Now, Jesus said this in verse 34. Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. When is that? When is rooster crow time? Well, the Jews divided the night into four into four sections or into four parts. This is the, the night to a Jewish person. Okay? Here they are. And we find that from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., that was called the evening time. What else? From 9 p.m. to 12 a.m., that was actually called midnight or it was described as the middle of the night. You know what happened from 12 a.m. to 3 a.m.? That was the section of time in the wee hours of the morning that was called, yes it was, rooster crow time. I read some scholars on that. You know why? Because about 3 a.m., usually not beyond that, that's when the rooster crowed. What Jesus is saying, and they're somewhere, by the way, they are somewhere in here. At the time that Jesus said these words. And what he's saying is, he's saying, Peter, before rooster crow time, before 3 a.m., you're going to deny me three times. That's what that means. And by the way, the morning is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. That's the night. That's the four parts of a night. Oh, the Lord was brilliant. He was brilliant. He's saying in a few hours, even before rooster crows, two times, you're going to already deny me on three occasions. Before it even gets to 3 a.m. You know when he did that, I want you to picture in your mind, I want you to picture kind of what Peter did. He denies, he denies, he denies. One time even with cursing and swearing, I know not the man right, we know that. Okay. I like what it said in another gospel account, what happens. We find that he went out and wept bitterly when he heard the rooster crow and after he had denied the Lord the third time. The Bible says he remembered the words of Jesus and he went out and wept bitterly. That's one gospel account, but there's more. It says also in the gospel according to Luke... 
that after Peter denied Jesus, the rooster crowed, and the Lord looked on Peter. You know what I thought of when I thought of this? The Lord looked on Peter. And I don't mean this like the Lord was saying it in a ha, 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 I was right way. But in a very, 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 very sad way. I don't know how far Jesus was away from the place where Paul or Peter was denying Jesus. I don't know when the rooster crowed. I don't know how far it was away from Jesus. But at some point in time, at some point in time, they're at least close enough in proximity that the Lord can look on Peter and the Lord knew exactly what Peter did and Peter knew the Lord was looking. I kind of thought of it like this. Look at this. He looks over. Told you. I told you. Not with ha ha ha, but with sadness. I told you. I told you. All right, is that how it ends? Nope. Got some good stuff going to happen now in the last part of our lesson. Thankfully, it doesn't end here. In fact, we go back to verse 32. Notice here. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. You know what he's saying? He's saying in the midst of all of this, I'll be, I'll be back. And by the way, when it says, I will go before you into Galilee, that means this. He's saying, I will lead you. In other words, the shepherd that God is going to strike one time as prophetically it was stated that he would once, right? Bear the sins of the world. That same shepherd is going to rise from the dead and a shepherd leads his sheep and he's going to lead those disciples into Galilee. How about that? Look at the courage of Jesus. I'm going to collect you. I'm going to lead you. And you know what happened? On that hillside, he restored them. Yeah, he did. In John chapter 21, it records specifically that he restored Peter. Peter denied the Lord three times. And you know what he says? He doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon. You know, there, there, there's a mouthful in that, and there's probably a whole sermon in that. Showing where Peter was in John chapter 21. Do you know what he says? Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? He said, you know that I love thee. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Second time, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. A third time, still not calling him Peter, he said, Simon, do you love me? And as I paraphrase, Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. He was troubled by the fact that the Lord kept asking him this question. He said, you know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Jesus restored Peter. And Jesus restored the rest after they learned this lesson. And you know what happened? He got Peter back on board. He got the others back on board. He ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1. He sent the Holy Spirit. And do you know what happened? Beginning there in Acts 2, the Bible says in the book of Acts that the apostles literally turned the world upside down with preaching. Okay? Did they learn their lesson, though, back here when they chickened out because they were trying to focus on their own strength? 
I think they learned their lesson. Here's how I know they learned their lesson. Now, we're going from right here where they're all going to chicken out, right? They're going to run out of fear. Caught in the trap. Everything's different now. Acts chapter 5. And they agreed with him. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Do you see the point? They learned a very powerful lesson about their own weakness. And that's true strength only comes from the Lord. We say that again. True strength only comes from the Lord. We have to learn that too. To truly understand strength, we have to understand weakness. And then we understand what Paul meant. I'm going to put an amazing passage of scripture on the screen. Okay, This is Paul... And it's dealing with Paul after he was given a thorn in the flesh. A messenger of Satan, as he said, to buffet me, right? He prays to God, could you just take it away? Notice what happens. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm going to tell you, I don't know how many times I've heard somebody quote that as if Paul was saying about himself, his strength is made perfect in weakness. Nope, that's not Paul, that's Jesus. That's the Lord. Look, he prays to the Lord. Let it, let it be taken from me. He said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Okay, that's what it says. What's it mean? What's it mean? It means this. The Lord's power to help is called out by the weakness of man. One scholar said man's extremity or the extreme things that he goes through is the Lord's opportunity. And true strength can only come from the Lord. And when I understand that in my life, then I can say what Paul said in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't you see? If you're strong enough on your own, what do you need the Lord for? But if you submit yourself and humble yourself to the Lord and say, I've got absolutely nothing. I'm weak. Guess what happens? The Lord shows up with strength. Our strength, never his strength. It's made perfect or complete in what? My weakness. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? Don't ever forget. You have never heard me say this. Don't ever forget this, but you have never heard me say this. And maybe I have, you haven't heard me say it because maybe I have never said it before. But something came to me as I wrote this sermon this week. You know what it is? We are all broken. And you might sit there and go, no, not me. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, you. Yeah, you. Yeah, we're all broken. And when we think we're not broken, it is the height of our ignorance and arrogance. And did you know 
that it's not only are we broken, not only are we weak, but it's also a command that we must be. In Matthew chapter 5 on the Beatitudes, remember the first one? Blessed are those that are poor in spirit. The word poor means destitute. You know what that means? That means I am destitute without Jesus. I am destitute spiritually without the Lord. I am nothing without God. And guess what happens when you got some trials in your life and you got some hard stuff going on? Guess what? If you submit to that, if you humble yourself and realize I'm nothing without the Lord, I am weak without the Lord, I am broken without the Lord, then guess what? Here comes the Lord and we get his strength. In closing, I want to put the rest of this passage up in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read the passage and I'm going to be finished. He continues. Now, this is Paul's language, okay? At first, it's talking about Jesus. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's the Lord. Now, here comes Paul. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you're weak, the Lord shows up. And he makes all the difference in the world. If you have ever endured something as a child of God and you think you did it by your own strength, no, it wasn't you. We do our best, but folks, it's the Lord through the hardest times of our life. It's the Lord carrying us through. He carries us. You can't understand strength until you understand how weak you are. And you can't understand how weak you are until you are able to say, I am broken. And I need the Lord. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.